It's the AgShip Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn, creator of the AgShip, a credentialed newsletter covering Utah State football, men's, women's basketball, and Olympic sports. You can subscribe for 6 or $10 a month. There's also yearly subscriptions that are discounted at www.theagship.com. Uh, gets you access to all of the weekly stories. There are quite a few weekly stories that go up in addition to the, the $10 tier special uh, film review and preview. Um, I put an unbelievable, way too much time into the film review this past week. I went and uh, <laughs> manually collected PFF data for that because they don't let you they don't let you export. So if you're interested in seeing the fruits of those labor, uh, go subscribe at the $10 tier. If that is not for you, if the film stories are not for you, no problem. $6 tier is the one for you. Uh, go on over and check it out, www.theagship.com, as well as at the Agship on Twitter, which I would assume most of you know if you're listening to this. I think probably the Twitter account is the number one thing that people know about. But there is a website as well, um, and this is the podcast for that website. I'm joined, as always, by co-host Parker Ballantyne. Parker, what's up, man? What's up, Patrick? I'm doing well. I'm very excited for football. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be kind of a long stretch with an away game, a bye week and away game, but football is football. Um, even if it's not played at the Mav, it's still fun to watch the Aggies. So I'm, I'm pretty excited for this weekend. This will be, this should be a fun one. Yeah, we are here to preview Utah State's forthcoming Saturday, I would assume Saturday night. I think it's on Saturday night. Um, I don't know why it would be at 10 a.m. That doesn't make any sense. I think it's, I think it's at night. Um, 5, 5 p.m. 5 yeah. p.m. Yeah, with, uh, with San Jose State. Uh, the Aggies sitting at three and four, looking to get back to 500. San Jose State. I shouldn't have said the records because I don't know San Jose State's off the top of my head. I think they're two they're and five. Four and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, two and five. Yeah. Um, looking to get closer to 500. Yeah. Um, but not uh, yeah, not as close as Utah State is with uh with just two wins so far for the Spartans. Yep, and they just got one last week with a 52-24, to 24, uh, really a second-half-specific beatdown of New Mexico. It was very close in the first half, and then they pulled away. Uh, they also, earlier in the season, beat Cal Poly. Outside of that, it has been tough sledding here, and it's not hard to understand why when you look at the schedule. They, they played two Pac-12 teams in USC and Oregon State. They played a good MAC team in Toledo. And then they played Air Force and at Boise State, and they nearly beat Boise State. Um, it, it's they've <laughs> they've been given a pretty tough hand here. I think San Jose State has to start the year, and 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 you get another one here that's pretty tough at home against Utah State, and then it really doesn't let up. They're at Hawaii, Fresno State at home, San Diego State at home, and at UNLV. They they drew save for. Wyoming, they drew pretty much every team you don't want to play in this conference. They miss Nevada um, and they miss Wyoming. I don't know if they miss anybody else, but it's a it's a tough schedule. It's a really really tough schedule for these guys, and they have uh, they've struggled with it. They have some guys back from last season's team. They've been a a bowl team of late, but they they lost some pretty key pieces, and they are dealing with a a really rough go of it here just I, I think in part because of an experience and in part because this is a hard schedule to do a lot against they really did not have a ton of of easily won games through that stretch of of their first seven and 
like Utah State, they don't get a bye week until pretty late on. They even even worse than Utah State's. They don't get a bye week until the first week of November. Um, just brutal, really, really brutal for for Brent Brennan's program. I think he has done a really good job there, and this is not a um, this is not a generous reward. I don't think for the work that they have put in these last couple of years. No, absolutely not. You mentioned the schedule to this point for the Spartans. Very, very difficult. Um, as you said, they nearly beat the Broncos, but they also played Toledo very, very close in a one possession game as well. 17 to 21. Um, looking at the Spartans schedule, very similar to the way I look at Utah State's schedule. Uh, I'm not sure they have lost to any teams that they should have beat, to be completely honest. Boise State was a winnable game. Toledo was a winnable game, but uh, you kind of expect them to lose to USC, Oregon State, Air Force. Um, they have they've been dealt dealt a very difficult schedule, and it's just hard to tell um, exactly what this team is made of. Where they've kind of run chalk through the first you know seven games of their season, losing to the superior programs in most cases, and then beating up on uh, to you know Cal Poly, a much smaller school in the New Mexico, which we uh, we are. Yeah. very uh we're very familiar with the struggles the Lobos are facing right now so yeah uh tough schedule to this point and it doesn't get much easier for them um so yeah it's uh <laughs> as you mentioned a very bad reward for the work that they've put in lately uh they did win the conference in 2020 uh just you know the year before Utah State did so um they have been a good program and they have been a good program recently but certainly struggling early on this year well not even early on anymore it's midway yeah. through the season in there yeah yeah and and probably like, like we said going to continue to struggle and i don't know that it's entirely their fault i just 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 one of those years i think at san jose state this is an uphill climb program it always has been and and, and brent brennan the mm-hmm. head coach has done a very good job of making that climb and of getting them to a place where this is a down year and not just the standard, right? Like they, they've had a couple up seasons. They had, I think, an 11 win season in the early 2010s, but this is not a program that has a ton of resources. This is a program where Brent Brendan has really been responsible for building a lot of things, like not just on the field, like actually pushing to build things. They built a new practice facility, things like that, that they just didn't have. Um, and this is, uh, it kind of comes with the territory. They've not had a down year quite like this in a little while. And they really, you know, that championship core in 2020, there are still some guys here who were on that team. There are not very many left. Um, and for the most part, the last pieces of that core kind of washed out of the program last season after graduating. Um, and so you are seeing San Jose state kind of struggle to enter into a new era. They have a few holdovers who are helping them through it, but this is a pretty young team, all things considered. This is a team that has quite a few underclassmen in the starting rotation, quite a few guys who could be good in the future, but right now are kind of struggling to learn the the ropes of what they're being asked to do. Um, and you see it. You see it on the field. You see it in a 2-5 and five record, and, and there are moments where they look really good. There are also moments where they don't look quite so good. Um, and, uh, they're, that's, that's where they're at heading into this game. Um, this is a matchup between these two that has been streaky, I think is probably the best way to say it, which is funny because right, it's, it's yeah. tied. The all time matchup here between these two is tied 
at 20, uh, 20 wins apiece with one tie. Um, so the winner here is going to take the, take the lead in the, in the, the series. San Jose State has long held it, but Utah State has gone and, and erased all of that over the last 10 matchups because it's won all 10. Utah State currently holds the longest uh, winning streak in the, in the history of this, I don't think rivalry would be the right word, matchup. Um, has won 10 straight going back to 2009, has really dominated this this decade and beyond since basically since the arrival of Gary Anderson the first time. San Jose State has not had a ton of luck here. There have been a couple close games. Last year was close, but it's been pretty lopsided as well during this during this stretch. Utah State is, at this point, I think especially in Mountain West play, pretty accustomed to beating San Jose State. Yeah, that would be true. It's a funky kind of vibe with this uh, this matchup. You're right. I wouldn't quite call it a, a rivalry uh, just in terms of uh, the, um, you know, the feeling and the vibe of this matchup. It certainly is, um, you know, by definition, we've long been a conference, uh, you know, conference member with them. Yeah. And we have played quite a few times, 41 matchups in, in, in our history. And as you mentioned, weirdly, weirdly evenly matched 20 wins a piece and a tie. Um, but it just never has really felt competitive. New, newer fans, obviously, with that 10-game win streak, um, are not going to feel like this game has been competitive and it has not been. Uh, there, as you mentioned, there's been some close games, but uh, 10 wins in a row is is a lot. And so it has been very lopsided since joining the conference. And, and uh, the, yeah, since being in the Mountain West, we have not lost to the Spartans and Utah State is very accustomed to beating these guys uh, in Logan or in San Jose. Yeah, which is funny because there was a time, like as you would imagine, when a 10-game winning streak is only enough to tie the series, there was a time when San Jose State dominated this series. They were both in the Big West and the, the PCAA together for a pretty long time. And San Jose State held a you know an eleven and four record during that that period and was yep. consistently winning and had an eight game winning streak at one point and yep. and that has really shifted since they rejoined uh, conferences when Utah State joined the WAC in the two, in two thousand five. Um, it's been pretty much all Aggies since then. It's been eleven to three since two thousand and five. Um, also notable here is since uh, what is it since twenty. In the last 10 games, rather, in this winning streak, Utah State holds a, a 43.2 to 20.4 average margin. They've not really been close. I mentioned the one-score games. Other than that, this has been a blowout pretty pretty reliably. Utah State has been quite a bit better um, during this during this stretch. The games are usually high-scoring, like really high-scoring, some of them up in the, in the 70s or 80s. A lot of that coming on the Utah State side. I think people probably remember pretty yeah, well yeah. The, the 2018 and 2017 back-to-back games where Utah State put 61 and 62 on the board. San Jose State is not as desolate now as it was then, but this is a series that has seen more blowouts than it has close games. I don't know that that is like... You certainly can't use the history of a series to predict future matchups of, of teams, but I do think that the high-scoring... Um, nature of this of this you know annual not annual but frequent bout is probably going to continue here based on the way that these two teams play uh but i i don't know like it, it's it's hard to predict a blowout and i think san jose state is better than it was a lot of those times it got blown out i think it's also probably worse than it was last year when these two played a, a really good really competitive 35 31 game and i think utah state's better than it was last year so it's um 
Utah State, I think, interestingly enough, is not favored in most places that I have seen. Maybe you can chalk that up to San Jose State's home field (laughs) advantage. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say that that's a massive advantage for San Jose State. Uh, ever under any circumstances, <laughs> but uh, that that is the case. I don't agree with that. I don't really know exactly where people are coming from with that because I think Utah State has been the better of the two teams this year. I know the records are fairly close, but like San Jose State's had some issues. They've had some pretty major issues. Yeah, they uh, San Jose State is certainly a talented team. They have some guys there. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about their quarterback play, which I'm really impressed with, but they're a good team. They just haven't, it's just not clicking for the Spartans this year. Um, I would expect, as you alluded to, um, I would expect the the pattern of high scoring games probably to continue. I think uh, Utah State is is poised for a pretty um, pretty good offensive performance. It is, it is fun looking at that, uh, the history. Um, as you kind of mentioned, there's a lot of blowouts for a game, you know, a series that is evenly matched. The The ratio of wins and losses being completely even versus blowouts is is really weird in this series. Um, but I would expect both offenses to, to really play pretty well this game and particularly the Utah State offense, which has just had more opportunities to figure it out, even with a backup quarterback who, you know, we don't know who we're going to see this week. I think we're expecting McKay. Um, either way, I think both quarterbacks have been able to figure it out really, really, uh, really, really well on offense, and and it's starting to click. It's just Utah State's a really good team, a great team that's starting to figure it out. San Jose State, I would say, is a good team who hasn't figured it out yet. And, you know, part of that is the schedule that we mentioned. Like, they haven't really been given a chance to, to figure it out. They haven't been given – very many games where they yeah. can really uh, try to learn about themselves and, and get into a rhythm because it's been up, an uphill battle um, for a program that was not maybe well equipped to take on such a tough schedule. Um, but I would expect Utah State to have uh, have some fun on offense and should be uh, it could be a high scoring game. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the passing attack for the Aggies in a little bit, but whoever is back there at quarterback is probably going to get quite a bit of help from the rushing attack. The rushing attack has been good in these last couple weeks for Utah State. Very good, up over 200 yards in, in each of the last two games, including you know more than 200 against a very good Fresno State run defense. Um, and if you can do it against a good run defense, you can certainly do it against the San Jose State run defense because this is one of the worst that that Utah State has seen this year, will see this year. It's one of the worst run defenses in the country. They're 130th nationally in rushing yards allowed per game, up over 200. Um, And it makes sense. It's not hard to understand why they lost a huge chunk of their run defense from last season. Uh, Kyle Harmon, who I'm, I'm sure people remember he's a five-year starter, he's gone from linebacker. Uh, they also lost three-year starting linebacker Ali Matau to uh, to graduation. They lost two of the best defensive ends in program history with Cade Hall and Viliami Fahoko. They lost a starting defensive tackle. The front has been rebuilt here, and you're you're seeing it. You're seeing that rebuilding process there's a little bit of experience still here in, in this front. There are some guys who are decent. Um, you know, I, I think Brian Parham is, is one of the better linebackers in the conference, and he, he comfortably leads the team in tackles. He's up at, I think, 60 tackles on the year. 
but he does not have a whole lot of help. And it has been just tremendously easy to run on this defense. Everybody's done it. They're, they're like, it's, it's not only that they are giving up too many rushing yards, they're not hiding it well. They're, the, the, the rushing rate that they are seeing defensively is dead last. N- nobody is seeing more runs than these guys because opponents know you don't need to do anything else. You can just run the ball and they're not going to stop it. Yeah, opposing coaches have picked up on that very, very quickly that um, San Jose State's going to let you move the ball and they're going to let you run the ball all night long. Um, You're going to see probably a lot less and have seen a lot less throwing than you would like to as as opposing teams um, just because you're going to take what's there. Um, They have struggled to stop the run, as you you said. They haven't hit it well either. it's been very easy to run and score on these guys uh, other than Cal Poly who only scored three points. Um, everybody has really had, uh, had an easy time scoring even New Mexico who they played last week and ended up blowing out uh, New Mexico scored 24 points. Um, That's not a good number against New Mexico. That's too it's many. not a good number against New Mexico. That is uh, let's see New Mexico scored. Uh, yeah. I mean, They've scored 10, 56, 17, 34, 26, and then 24. So yeah. uh, really, really given up kind of more than you probably want to against New Mexico. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just really struggling to stop that run. Uh, it starts up front. We say it every week. It starts up front, and San Jose State does not have a lot up front. Uh, they are certainly trying to rebuild that group and doing it slowly, uh, much slow, uh, much slower than they would like. Yeah, there are like a couple guys on this on this defensive front who I think are decent. Parham I mentioned is a good player at linebacker. He doesn't have a whole lot of help at, at linebacker. Um, you know, he's got two new starters there next to him with Taniela Latu, who has been decent for an underclassman, but definitely is still learning the position. Um, they have had, they've had a lot of issues, honestly, with replacing those, those guys who they lost at linebacker. The other starter is Jordan Pollard. He's okay. He's another underclassman who has been okay for them. He's, he's picked up a decent amount. He's playing fairly well, given the position that he's in. He's just, he's, he's young. These guys haven't played a whole lot other than Parham and they're struggling. Um, Matthew Tongo is kind of a, a stand-up edge rusher for them at linebacker. He's a decent run defender. I think he's probably the best run defender of the edge rushers that they have. Um, you know, Noah Lavula is not an especially good run defender, which is strange because he's 6'2", 260 pounds. You'd think he would be better at it, but he's really not. Trey Smith is much more of a true pass rusher for them at defensive end. Um, I, I do like one of the tackles, Sawani to, uh, Toeo. Toia, I think is how you say it. He's pretty good. He's a pretty good player. He's undersized. He's six foot two eighty, but he plays well. He plays with a lot of energy. I like him quite a bit more than I like the other tackle that they play, uh, Jay Kokiva. He's just he's big. He's just big. Honestly, he's six four three oh seven. He doesn't move very well. He doesn't tackle very well. Um, and, and really. Even with some of the the talent that they have there, some of the guys you know at linebacker who have played probably a little bit better than you could reasonably expect, even with a secondary that does have guys who can help against the run, Trey Jenkins, Chase Williams have been here for a while at safety. I like Kenyon Reed at, at, at Nickelback. He's a pretty good player for them, but they've just gotten pushed around, honestly. They've just gotten pushed around up front. Um, they don't create very many big plays 
defensively, just in general, but especially against the run, they just don't, they can't get off the field. It's not just explosiveness, right? Like they give up some big plays. They don't give up as many as you might expect, I think because the secondary is pretty good at cleaning up those messes, but they, you can, you can pretty much just run. Like I said, their, their, their success rate is not good against the run. They're just watching them play. You can see it. They're getting pushed off the ball. They're, the line of scrimmage is set several yards down the field pretty much every time you snap it for a run. And with what Utah State has been able to figure out on the ground these last couple weeks with some of the change that it has made in the way that it calls plays, in the directions that those plays go, with what should be a healthy offensive line for the first time in several weeks as well. I know Cole Motes is expected back. I don't know what the word is on uh, Tavo Motuapuaka and, and Wade Meacham, but the latter has been closed for several weeks now. Um, I have kind of a hard time seeing this as anything but a you know a showcase game basically for Utah State's three halfbacks. I, I think it's probably going to be a really, really big day for the running game because it has been for everybody who has played this defense, and I think Utah State is one of the better, you know, running teams of that group. Yeah, Utah State's running backs have been, you know, we've talked about them a lot on the show, but lately it kind of has been, it's been all about Jalen Royals and kind of his uh, his coming out that he's had in the past few weeks. He's been playing, I mean, honestly, out of his mind, he's been having a really, really good game, uh, having really, really good games, um, improving every game. And so that has been kind of the focus on offense is seeing Jalen Royals come into his own. Um, but if you look at the running backs too, they have been having really good games as well. Devon Booth, Razul Faison, and Robert Briggs Jr., of course, being the three uh, that are getting really all the snaps and all the, uh, you know, those those are the three running backs they have. Uh, Booth has 446 yards on the season. Faison has 334, and then Briggs has 247. I would agree. I think this is going to be kind of a showcase game on the ground for those three uh, just because that's what's been there all year. And these three are not, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that these three are are merely opportunistic running backs. They are, um, they will gladly take what you give them, but they are very, very formidable against better defenses than this one. Uh, the one that I keep going back to is James Madison, who came in um, very, very scary on the ground in terms of their defense. And we uh, really didn't seem, no, we, we didn't seem to be bullied or outplayed by them on the ground. We, we got a lot of yards. I would expect uh, these three to be able to um, really have a showcase game. Yeah, and, you know, like the, the, the James Madison game, the numbers were not huge, but Utah State has, I think, and this is basically what that big uh, film review that I just put out was about, was that Utah State has changed some of the structure of its rushing attack. They're, they're a lot more zone you know, blocking heavy now than they were at the beginning of the season, which I think is probably in part because of the injuries up front. But what they're doing with it basically is using that as as the base rather than using gap stuff as the base and then setting up more creative gap runs. They're they're hunting matchups basically with guys like Falapuleallo, with guys like Wade with uh you know Wyatt Bowles who moves really well. Um they're they're chasing these matchups and they're making it hit that much harder when they do it. Um, Roswell Faison especially is just excellent when you when you set him up with those kind of more patient runs. Um, and Utah State can do that here. I would guess it does it, it does do that because that has been 
that approach has worked. Utah State has run the ball a lot these last couple weeks, and it's done it that way, and it's worked. Um, and it's not going to stop working here. But I, I think even it, if it was the, the approach that kind of struggled at the beginning of the season, Utah State would still get yards on the ground because this is not a run defense that you have to really even think about. They're just not. They're just not there, and I would guess that that's going to be the the major focus of the offense, and it's been the major focus of the offense for the last two weeks, and you have seen it open up the passing game. I, I think that the passing game has taken its steps of its own, but when Utah State can run, when it when it is a threat to run, when defenses have to put six or seven guys in the box, when it has to respect the, the, the threat of a handoff, it makes the passing game that much better. It, it happened against Fresno State. It happened against Colorado State. I would be very surprised if it doesn't happen here because if you don't, I mean, if you're San if you're San Jose State especially, and you can't stop the run with six guys, you really can't do it with seven guys. You you really have to pick your poison because if you're loading the box just to try and get off the field against the ground game, Utah State will still kill you down the field. It, it's not like the passing game does not is not a massive threat. Still, that balance has really just made Utah State's offense uh, that much better, really, than it was at the beginning of the season when it was still putting up 38 points on James Madison. Right, like that's that's a really good defense. Utah State's offense is very good, and I think it's probably the best, pretty pretty clearly the best thing in this game, and the rushing attack especially has a, has a very favorable matchup here. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think, uh, you know, you're going to see the run get, uh, Blake's going to come out and try to establish a run as he as he <laughs> always does. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to come very easily in this game, and whether that is establishing the, the run to continue to run or establishing the run to force them to respect it and put the ball downfield. Um, you know, so be it, whatever, whatever San Jose state will give us is what, uh, what our offense is going to be able to take. Yeah. Um, the good news is San Jose state is they, they have to give you something because they just can't stop both. Um, they haven't really been able to stop one all, all season, but uh, certainly not on the ground. So they're going to have to, res- you know, if they respect the run, it's going to be, it's going to be an air raid all night. And if, you know, if they somehow do stop the run, which they have not been able to do. Yep. Uh, the next one here, moving to one of the strengths for this team, one of the actual strengths for the San Jose state team, they do have some things that they do pretty well on the football field. Um, they're all on offense. It's, it's pretty much just the offense. The offense has been pretty good for them this season. And, and again, like we were talking about with the run defense, that makes sense. A lot of this offense is back from last year. It's, it's, it's a pretty similar group. Uh, and leading that charge is a, a guy who has been in the Mountain West for what feels like a decade at that at this point, and that would be Chevin Cordero at quarterback. Um, kind of a known commodity at this point. I don't know that we need to give a ton of background on Chevin because he is who he is. He's a good player. He's a very good player. He's he's a he's a dangerous runner. He's a guy who can extend plays really well. Doesn't have a huge arm. I don't think he's like an NFL guy or anything, but he's accurate. He knows how to run the offense. He is, he's hard to get on the ground and he's hard to get pressure on even when you're blitzing. It's, it's, if you do that, you're kind of opening, opening yourself up to bigger plays. He's good against the blitz. He's not good under pressure, but the pressure can't just be generated. You have to make plays up front and that's not impossible, but that is really key. And and Utah state was kind of able to do that the last time they played these guys, I would guess a similar result is probably in the works here. I think this is a good passing offense. It's not, you know, I don't think it's on the same level as some of the passing attacks that Utah State has seen this season, 
I don't think it's like Colorado State level of, of efficient or anything, and Utah State handled that pretty well. But Shevin's a good player. He, If you are picking a quarterback in this league to to lead your passing attack, he would be one of the top guys on the on the board. He's a good player. He's a very good player. Yeah, uh, I, I like Cordero a lot. I think he's he's great. The senior from Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, he spent four years playing for Hawaii and then, you know, comes over to San Jose State this is his second year with the Spartans. Um, he's good. He's he's really good. Um, and just in terms of pure yards this year, he's one of um, maybe not one of the top quarterbacks, but certainly one of the better quarterbacks. He has um, uh, 1,619 yards, so over 1,600 yards on the season so far. Um, that's good enough for 38th in the country. Um, his completion rate is just about 60%, so uh, not great, but formidable, I think, for, for the teams that they've played. Uh, he's good. I, I like him as a quarterback. I would definitely say he's one of the better quarterbacks in the conference. He's uh, he's good. He does have, as you mentioned, uh, he struggles under pressure. He's been sacked 12 times, which is, uh, if you look at some of his peers, um, that's too many. That's way too many. And that's obviously on the offensive line as much as it is on him, but it definitely is on him. Yeah. Um, has struggled under pressure, does go down in the backfield uh, more than he should. Yeah. Sometimes he runs but, around a little but, bit too much. The the extending yeah. plays thing can sometimes get him into trouble. It can also create some really good plays, and I think he kind of has to do yeah. it at times within this offense. But it is you can you can if you can bottle him up, he can he run himself into some sacks sometimes. Yeah, he's definitely uh, he, he's a good quarterback, but he's he's not perfect. He is going to be able to he's going to make mistakes if you can force him to. So. Uh, I would love to see Utah State. We've said this basically going into every game. I'd love to see them uh, develop more of a, an ability to get to the quarterback quickly. I don't think they've they've shown that consistently throughout this season. Um, they've done it. They have sacked the quarterback, but not often. Um, I'd like them to see. I'd like to see Utah State add that to what they can do. Uh, but Cordero, as good as he is, and he is good, um, there's there's opportunity there. Yeah, and I think that that's going to be key. Is is you know performances of guys on the on the defensive line like a Kyan Sloan, like a Blaine Spires, who I think has been really good these last couple weeks. Uh, Paul Fitzgerald has sacks in back to back games. You're starting to see them figure it out a little bit, and Utah State needs, I think, another step for those guys here. Um, there was there was a funny moment to to finish on on the the Cordero note, and then. I want to talk about these receivers a little bit. Uh, there was a funny moment in watching the uh, Brent Brennan press conference this week, where somebody asked somebody was asking him about Cooper Lega and asked him if if, the, if he could think of a, a quarterback who he has seen who you know he could compare to Lega. And Brennan couldn't couldn't think of anybody. Just said you know thought about it for a second. He's like, I don't I don't really know. Um, I have one, Chevin Cordero, very similar quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah, he's right there. He's right in front of you. He's coach. right there. You've watched him play a lot. I feel like that's a pretty easy answer. Like, yeah, guy who can extend plays, doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, but capable of of making most of the throws you want him to make, knows how to run the offense, uh, dangerous when you let him outside of the pocket, struggles with pressure, but can be hard to get pressure on. Like, that's that's Cooper Lega. You've described Cooper Lega there. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of a, it was sort of like, that's, it's a, it's an easy touchstone for Utah state fans as they, as they prepare to watch this one. Like, yeah, just expect Cooper Lega in a system that's a little bit more suited for his skill set. That's pretty much what they have with Cordero. Yeah. The, the big difference that I would 
point to in that comparison. I like that comparison. Uh, I think they do play a similar game. The big difference would be the interception rate. Uh, Cooper has six interceptions on the year on only 153 attempts. Yeah. Um, to Cordero's credit, uh, as as shaky as he can be under pressure, he's only thrown the ball to the other team three times on 220 attempts. Yeah. Um, not bad. Again, especially with the schedule that he's played with the teams that he's played, he's faced uh, a lot of really good defenses, uh, only thrown the ball away three times. And that is another, uh, another thing in, you know, that, that Cordero has going for him. Um, again, being probably the biggest difference between Coop and, and Cordero Cooper being quite prone to the interception, but yeah. they, they do play very similar games, I think. And that's something that has really been kind of different in Cordero's game this year. That's something I think if there's there's not a ton you can change as a guy who's been playing college football for a decade, right? Like you kind of are who you are at that point. But yeah, we've seen that with yeah, you know, Logan Bonner recently. It's just you know your strengths and your weaknesses are your strengths and your weaknesses. You're a full grown man at that point. There's not a ton of developing left to do. You've watched the tape. You know what you're seeing, and and your limitations are what they are. Um, Cordero's done a good job of cutting down on the interceptions. That were you know those were an issue for him in, in the past. He had thirty. He has thirty one in his career. And, you know, he's played 55 games, and so that's it's not a huge number, but it has been sort of an issue for, for him these last couple of years, and he's done a really good job of uh, cutting down on those in an offense that really can't afford to have them. I, I think he has he has stepped up when they have needed him to step up, and I think he's playing really well this year. Um, he's also doing it, interestingly enough, with kind of a rebuilt receiving core. They lost Elijah Cooks, who was, you know, the big star there for several years, Um and uh, the leading receiver here is actually another former quarterback for these guys, Nick Nash, who was, I think, partially he was he was part time starter in 2021. Uh, they have moved him to receiver. He's been playing really well. He he's done a really good job in that role. I think he has like 30 receptions on the year. He's a bigger guy, six three one ninety eight. Yeah, 30 receptions for 387 yards. He's not like a a huge downfield threat. He can do it. There's not a ton of like the downfield passing game in this offense is pretty good. It's just not a huge focus. They do a lot of quick hit stuff. Um, but Nash has been good. Nash has been really good for them. And, and honestly, I like their receiving core in general. There's not a ton of star power, but they have a lot of guys who are just involved. Um, Dominic Mazzotti, the tight end has been good for them this year. He's really stepped up. Charles Ross in the slot. Um, Malachi Miller, the other starting receiver has been pretty solid. And then they throw a lot to the halfbacks, uh, Quali Conley and, uh, Kyrie Robinson have both been involved as well. This is an offense that is really designed around that. They want to involve a lot of receivers and they're good at it. They're, they're good at giving Cordero a lot of options and he's really good at picking out which one is the most open on any given play. He's a quick processor, um, and when he extends plays, it's that much harder to keep track of all these guys because they are all capable of beating you. This is, we talked about this on the recap a little bit. This would be a really, really good week for Utah State to figure out that you need to cover the tight end as well in the passing game. You can't just leave the guy uncovered. You also need to, you know, think about him. Anthony Switzer should be covering this guy. It, it's not, it doesn't need to be Anthony yeah, Switzer yeah. bearing down on the run every single play. He doesn't need to blitz every single play. Somebody needs to cover Dominic Mazzotti and number two tight end Sam Olson. Like those guys will catch the ball in this offense. 
Yeah, just because we don't throw to our tight end doesn't mean that nobody <laughs> does. Um, not everybody has block lane just out there to to get in guys' way. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to cover the, the tight end a lot more. And then going back to Nick Nash, as long as we're making comparisons to Utah State guys, Nick Nash is what I would love to see. Uh, he's the wide receiver version of what I would love to see Levi Williams do at some point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, a quarterback turned receiver – uh, that is what Levi Williams should do, a quarterback turned tight end. Le- um, Levi Williams, the pass catcher, would be such an adventure. That would be so much fun. He just, oh, e- yeah. Every play is ending with a hurdle. He is never going down <laughs> yeah. in a normal way. It's just not oh, happening. I'm just, it's going to happen. I mean, I'm just waiting for, <laughs> we're already seeing Levi Williams out there on, on the kicking unit, on the, you know, just randomly throughout the game. Um, it's only a matter of time before uh, I'm sure he's asked. I'm sure he's, you know, he's wearing Blake yeah. down. Eventually Blake's just going to give up and say, okay, fine. You're our, you're our tight end. Like, mm-hmm. fine, go do, uh, go get out of my way. Like go do something. You're annoying. Yeah, just go, go do whatever, do whatever just you go want. Play. Stop, bu- stop bugging play. me. Yeah. yeah. Just go, just go, just go <laughs> play whatever position you think you should play. I don't care. Yeah, and whether, whether that's linebacker or tight end, we're going to see more of Levi Williams at some point that yeah. dude just, he, yeah, he loves football um, and he's going to make things really, really weird when we finally, uh, when coach Blake, just finally gives in yeah um Co- coaches on the sidelines calling for special teams unit calling for the defense calling for whatever and levi just showing up they're like you're not on this <laughs> yeah. unit he's like i want to be though let me in he's like you you called me no i didn't i called the, I called the special team i called yeah, the you, kickers you you're not on the yeah. kicking unit <laughs> yeah no, well, coach i i play football i i play football yeah um, i i could uh, i mean utah state has been experimenting a little bit with uh, using a halfback as a lead blocker on quarterback runs. They they did it with uh, with Brock Lane back there as, as sort of a fullback insert. They did it on a quarterback draw. I could very easily see Levi Williams stepping into the backfield and serving as a lead blocker. That would be fun. That would be really fun to it see. It would that. be. That's, it's that's the goal like line a... package that I want to see is Levi in the yeah. backfield as a running back, yeah. not as a quarterback, well, as a running back. That's a built-in trick play because, yeah. you know, anyone who's been watching Utah State fan, you know, been, been watching Utah State would look down there and see one quarterback on the field. But anyone who only, you know, follows the stats would look down and, and see two. Yeah. You know, Wait, 16's in the backfield. Wait a second. <laughs> he can throw. Yeah, they no. would look down and think, oh, no, they got two. <laughs> who are they going to snap to? Who's the quarterback? It's a trick play. Yeah. They're going to. Talk about know, balance. Be... Talk about offensive no, balance, a... <laughs> man. You got two quarterbacks on the field. <laughs> yeah, but really, it's, it's not a trick play. He's just. Yeah. Levi Williams isn't a quarterback. Six five two forty. Yeah, he's he's just a there, big guy, yeah. just a big body you could put on the field. That yeah. would be that would be a fun play to have uh, him in the backfield as a lead blocker. That would cause a, I th- I honestly do think it would cause a lot of chaos for the defense. Yeah. not knowing what's going on, you'd have to think trick play. You'd think, oh, they're gonna you know pitch it over to Levi, do something weird. It's gonna be end up you know Levi's gonna be the one throwing the ball or something weird. You're thinking trick play, and really it's just a good old fashioned design quarterback draw. But yeah. Um, Anyways, you know, something to think about, something to think about, (laughs) something something to think about. Um, But yeah, the the San Jose State offense uh, getting back to the topic at hand. They are good. Um, As we mentioned, Cordero is a great quarterback, has plenty of formidable targets, lots of targets that he can get to. Uh, They certainly don't have the star power that uh, Utah State has with, you know, with our pass catchers, but they have enough guys that um, it only takes a small lapse in coverage for, uh, for yeah. Cordero to really make you pay for that. So they're, they are, 
you know, they're able to put the ball, they're able to move the ball downfield for sure. If you're, uh, if you're not going to be careful with it, and that yeah. tight end is something to watch for as well. Same with the halfbacks. They're, they're just, they're good at creating open receivers from places that you would not expect to see a receiver. They, they, you know, those halfbacks are not just catching uh, passes in the flats, right? Like they they, they have decent <laughs> averages down the field as pass catchers. It is, it is something that they will do both of these guys in, uh, in Conley and Robinson. And so it, it is really, Against this offense, it is really just a test of sticking to your assignments, not necessarily trusting what you are seeing and more trusting what you have been told to do on a specific play. No freelancing. Just don't don't freelance against these guys. It's not gonna it's not gonna go well. Um, passing attack is pretty good. The numbers don't love it, but I, I think this passing attack is is firmly solid and is uh, probably the best part of this San Jose State team. Staying in the passing game, moving to the Utah State offense. Um, Another favorable matchup here, and you know the 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 yeah. counting stats have been pretty good for San Jose State's pass defense. You you can ignore those, I think, for the most part going into this game because, like I said, teams are running the ball sixty percent of the time against these guys, and so the counting stats are going to be good. The volume is not there on a per play basis, on an advanced stats basis, on whatever whatever metric you want to use that isn't just volume stats. This pass defense is not very good. Um, I think it's better than the run defense just because it would be hard not to be, but they lost their top cornerback, uh, Nehemiah Shelton, who was a good player for them. They've been largely without starting safety, Elijah Wood. They do have some guys back here who I like Trey Jenkins, Chase Williams have been around for a while. Like I mentioned at safety, um, Kenyon Reed is a good player for them. I, I like what I have seen from him at Nickelback again. Not a not a favorable one-on-one matchup against Terrell Vaughn because that doesn't exist for a nickelback, but he can do a lot of things for them and, and, and has. Um, he He's able to fill a lot of holes in this defense all as just one guy they can really move him around he's he's been he's been solid for them and then at corner I really like the core that they have of young guys I don't know that I like them in this matchup or this season but I think for the future the trio of uh, Javion Cole Michael Dansby and Virginia Tech transfer DJ Harvey is a really good group I think they have rebuilt there very well there's some growing pains but they're all young they're all I think underclassmen and they have all been good. Cole, especially, is really impressive for a sophomore. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's very good in coverage. Um, Dansby's been kind of in and out of the lineup. He's had some injury issues. I think Harvey's probably going to start here. Dansby didn't play against New Mexico. The corners are fine. I don't think that it's going to be a favorable matchup for them because Fine is really not going to get the job done against these receivers, especially if Utah State's running the ball as well as it has, and you have to worry about that, and you don't have a ton of help up front. Um, but they are they're they're making progress you can see what this past defense can be in a couple years it's just that those guys are probably going to be on islands and they really don't get any help from the pass rush at all trey smith is the only guy on this defense who you really need to worry about as a pass rusher i think he has three sacks on the year they just they don't they don't create much havoc they're in the in near the 120s in in sacks created this year they don't force a lot of turnovers this defense, it's the same thing I said about the run defense. They just have a hard time getting off the field. They have a really, really hard time ending drives, and there's a lot of room to work against them. Yeah, this is a either it's going to be a great game for McKay Hillstead to make his return, or it's going to be a great game for Cooper Lagat to, to stick around and play one more game. Um, they don't have a lot of one-on-one matchups in the backfield that are favorable for the Spartans. Um 
if Utah State is throwing the ball a lot, which they might not have to, but if they are, San Jose State's going to have to get pretty cre- uh, pretty crafty, pretty creative with how they're trying to cover guys like, uh, you know, Terrell Vaughn and, and Jalen Royals because they there's not a one-on-one matchup that they have that's even close to favorable. They don't even have a – I don't yeah. think they have a one-on-one matchup that's even uh, yeah. in the backfield for a guy like Terrell Vaughn or a guy like Jalen Royals. Um, they're going to have to figure something out. And if they do that, it means they're giving up, you know, they're giving up the run. So it yeah. really is a pick your poison game for San Jose state. I think um, they, they just don't have the the man coverage. They don't have the guys that can, they can take our receivers one-on-one. Yeah. And it, it's really, it's a, it's a math problem for, for opposing defenses, especially this one of you can only double so many receivers before you are out of bodies and yeah. even if you have five guys in the secondary and you have two on Royals and two on Vaughn, you are leaving Micah Davis in single coverage. And also now there's nobody for Brock Lane and you only have, you know, six or five or six guys to defend the run. It's just not, it's not favorable. It's just not favorable. And there's really not a, unless you do just get really creative and they, they've done some cool things with the way that they operate defensively. This is a, it's a, it's technically a three, four base defense, but they change formations a lot. There's a lot of versatility in the coverage. It's just that there's also a lot of room to work. And some of those looks, you know, no matter how fun they are on paper and you know how exciting they can be to, as a defensive coordinator, draw up and to install and, it looks good, but there's just too much room to work. And for an offense like Utah State's that creates so much space on the field, so much grass to attack, I just don't know that there are enough, you know, bodies here basically for these guys to uh, to to seriously contend with or or slow down this, uh, you know, this this Utah State offense. So other than that, really, I think the last question the the last uh, uh bullet point for utah state coming into this game offensively is uh i mean it's a pretty big one we we've managed not to not to dive too deep into it at this point and i don't know that it's going to matter a ton in this game because i think both options are good and i think that as we've said the rushing attack should be able to lead the way but uh we don't know exactly who's going to be playing quarterback here for the aggies uh blake anderson has been I I don't know that dodgy would be the right word, but not. Um, he's he's been a coach. He's been a coach. He's not given yeah. away too much. I think honestly, some of that is just that you know, it's not just being be playing coy for the sake of it or gamesmanship. Like a, a concussion recovery is a it's a daily process, and you need to see a guy hit all of the right things and and can't have any any setbacks anything like that and and you don't know until you know basically but yeah we are at this point not entirely sure of who's going to be playing quarterback here for the Aggies whether it is again Cooper Lagaffe for his third straight start in relief of McKay Hillstead or Hillstead who is recovering from a concussion seems to be you know on a on a good path there seems like he's not had any any setbacks that was the, that was the case as of Monday at uh, Anderson's press conference that was the case again as of Tuesday at his uh, for his coach's show interview that he does with the radio guys um, and so I think that's probably the last that we're going to hear about it is, is that as of then as of as of the latest information basically McKay is on track but can't have any setbacks and that is a that is a full week process. I think honestly the the easiest way 
to to talk about this and we're not going to spend too much time on it because we've we've hashed out this discussion plenty um i think if mckay is cleared he will start that would be my that would be my guess i would agree i think that's probably the right call i know we've seen a lot of good from from coop in relief of hillstead but i just don't know that you go back for uh, I, I just don't know that you go back to coop after what we've seen i think mckay is still probably the guy um, what it really comes down to, as you mentioned, is is the health. Um, and to me, I think it also depends on when he gets cleared. Um, if he's cleared to go full reps all week, there's no question that McKay is going to be um, be the guy. But if he's cleared on Wednesday, halfway through the week, I don't know what you do at that point. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really just about how you can best prepare um, for this week because you probably want – I mean, Blake's going to be wanting to make a decision earlier in the week than later. Um, and then stick with that decision if at all possible. Um, of course, if you make the decision that McKay's the starter and something does come up, you you know, and there's a setback, you can go back to Coop, but you don't want to uh, make the decision that it's Coop and then decide that, uh, you know, Hillstead's healthy. You wake up on Friday and decide that Hillstead's healthy enough and, and have him start. You definitely want to give him the preparation time that he needs. And uh, concussions can be really weird. There isn't really ever a clean timeline with stuff like this. You can be um, you can be 90% of the way there and just not quite be ready for contact. And that can take, that can take weeks. You know, you just really never know where this is going to go. It's not something you can rehab any faster. It just, you have to kind of let McKay's body run its course. So um, if he is healthy though, I think I'm in agreement. There shouldn't be much controversy with that. I think you do, you do see McKay. I think he does have a higher ceiling, but um as you mentioned, I'm not sure it matters too much. I think both quarterbacks should be able to get it done against the San Jose State defense. Yeah, and from <clears throat> both reading between the lines of what Anderson has said and from basically what he did say on that Coach's Show interview, I think McKay was cleared on... He was either cleared on Monday or before that. I think he has. I think he's cleared. I, I believe that, that oh, what right, Anderson right. was saying was that he was practicing or, or was going to practice on Tuesday and it was a matter of monitoring him, seeing if he had like brain fog, seeing if there were any of those issues. Um, but I believe he he is on the practice field. I believe he is he has been at least as of Tuesday participating. I don't know where it has gone from there, but um, I I think basically where where it comes down to is that Cooper has done a really good job in in relief. He has fixed a lot of the things that were that were causing problems that ultimately sent him to the bench in the first place. Um, but Utah State made this de- this decision once before, and it made it because it thought that McKay was the best option to win games now. It didn't right. just make that as an investment for the future. Like that, There's obviously a lot of confidence in McKay to make that move, um, and I don't think that a, a concussion shakes that confidence. I don't think he did anything when he was on the field that would shake that confidence. He was good. I, th- I think that there's maybe a little bit of of uh, short-sightedness with with uh, the, the way that, that there's been some of the quarterback discussion because like yeah Cooper has handled the situation really well and has played some of his best games as an Aggie in in this relief spot but also McKay Hillstead was really 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 good in those yeah. games that he played yeah. and like the UConn game was shaky for everybody in the first half and that was not his best moment but he really, for a lot of the James Madison game, diced up a really good defense and didn't end the way that he wanted it to. He had two interceptions late, but he was he was the starter for a reason. He was very, very good in those yeah. games. I, I think that they've made this call before, and I would be surprised if it's a different call this time around. I think they've made their peace with it, with it basically. 
Yeah, and and what I would add to that to kind of reinforce that point and and just why I don't see this uh, this coaching staff kind of going back on on what they've decided. Um, this decision was never uh, it was, this decision was never about Cooper as much as it was about McKay. Um, we did see Cooper struggle uncharacteristically early on in the season, but he wasn't benched as much as McKay was promoted. McKay is just a very very good quarterback. Um, they've seen enough of McKay, I think, in the times that he was playing and in practice that it was it was getting very hard to not have him be the starting quarterback anyways. Uh, he showed that he was ready and he kind of just took that job from Cooper. Uh, Cooper's struggles early on did uh, did make that decision easier for Blake, but um, I don't think this decision is about Cooper as much as it's about McKay. So if McKay's ready and if he's preparing, uh, if he stays healthy this week and everything's good to go, uh, he's going to be the starter going forward. And there's there's not going to be any question about that. Yeah, and it is hard not to wonder about wh- exactly what this offense is going to look like if it is still running the ball that effectively as it, as it has the last couple weeks and setting up more play action, setting up more opening you know, down the field. Uh, what that will look like with a guy who is, I think, a better downfield passer, which has been the big, that's the big thing with McKay is, is the willingness, not only the willingness to throw those, those, tight window intermediate routes and, and the the deep routes, but also the ability to throw. He has the, he has yeah, the arm to yeah. do it, to really threaten more of the field than, than Cooper can. And Cooper's a very good starting caliber quarterback. We've said this a million times. He's proven that. McKay's arm is different. It's a, it's a different level of guy, but you know, back there. And, and both, I think you can win with both. I think you can certainly win this game with both. Um, but uh, it's, it's it's hard not to wonder, and I'm sure that Blake has done this himself, of like, what are we going to be able to do down the field when we're also running the ball this well? Because the rushing attack was not on this level when McKay was out there. And Yeah, that's true. That's another good point. They've, I think they have figured some things out. And also, Jalen Royals has become the guy who he is. That did not really happen until recently. I think that the offense around the quarterback, whoever it is, has improved pretty significantly since we last saw McKay. And, uh, you know, maybe you could, you could, if you are a, uh, you know, a, a Cooper guy, you could say that's a Cooper thing. I think it's an offense thing. I think it's a, it's a structural, we've seen the play calling change. We've seen the, the way that they approach. This is again, what I wrote the film review about it's not just been individual improvement. It has been an actual like evolution of the way that they are running the ball and, and the way that they, that they pass the play calling has shifted pretty significantly away from what they were doing in the first four games. And, <clears throat> you know, part of that might be to account for personnel, but I think that they have, it's worked. Right. And so I don't, I don't think it's going to go away just because there's a different quarterback. If there is a different quarterback, they've seen, a better way to run the football. They've seen a more effective way to do that. And they've seen ways to create more openings for these receivers. If you're putting the ball 50 yards down the field in stride, it's that much more dangerous. They don't have to come back for the ball. They don't have to go up and win it. They're capable of doing that, but it's a lot easier for Jalen Royals to just run past somebody. And it's a lot more consistent for him to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I, you know, that, that's kind of why I was saying earlier, this is a great game for McKay to come back in. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a game where I think we should be able to keep him upright, protect him from uh, a really weak uh, San Jose State uh, pass rush. Um, it's an opportunity to uh, not necessarily low stakes or low pressure because there's no such thing when you're playing um, in, in conference games like this, but uh, c- certainly a game where McKay can rely on his rush you know, his, his pass, his rushers to, 
um, to get him a lot of yards and to keep him, uh, you know, to protect him from having to make big throws and to come out and have to throw the ball. Uh, the, the opportunity to throw the ball will certainly be there, but uh, this is a great way for McKay to kind of ease back into playing. I think it's a perfect game for him to, to make this comeback. I think he will, whoever the quarterback is, uh, we'll see a lot of success. And if it is McKay, I think it's the perfect game to kind of get him back into rhythm, get his confidence back up. If it was wavering, you know, if it was wavering at all um, and, and kind of win a game that doesn't, uh, doesn't require him to throw an extraordinary amount of yards or, or to lead a comeback. I think it should be pretty comfortable from the start. Uh, and a lot of that will start on the ground. So a great opportunity for, for McKay to kind of have a, um, not a, not a slower game necessarily, but you you know what I mean. Have have a little bit easier in the backfield with uh, more options and options yeah. that should work really yeah. really well. Yeah, he's not playing the Air Force defense down twenty two, and he's not playing yep. the James Madison defense, which is one of the best that Utah State has seen in a while. Um, yeah, that's that's a hard first two, you know, and and this is not that San Jose State is is I think more than capable of making a game of this on offense, especially, but. The defense is not that level. McKay has not had the chance to play against a defense that struggles like this one. And I think that if he is healthy, if he's cleared, the opportunity to to do that, to get him some momentum, to get him some confidence going into the bye week is is huge. It's a huge chance if you think that he is, you know, if Utah State thinks he's the guy who they want at quarterback as long as he's healthy for the rest of the season, which I, I believe is the case, um, then that's a great opportunity. You can do that. You can build some confidence with a good game going into the bye. You can come out and, and play two more defenses that are struggling with San Diego State and which is weird to say about those guys, but with San Diego State and Nevada, um, there's a lot of runway here. If you can, if you can do that, he's just—it's a matter of health, and and that's that's going to be up in the air until it isn't. I think is is just the deal with concussions, like you were saying. Yep, I, I agree with that. I also think um, this is a this is something we've mentioned before, but this bye week I think is going to be a, a very very important um, a very important feature of the how the back half of the season goes. Um, Because you are going to have a chance for McKay to come back and then take an extra week off before his next game. You're also really hoping to get that line solidified. We have some guys that are shaky coming back. Cole Motes uh, is the one that I think you mentioned uh, most prevalently. Um, This bye week is, uh, I know I'm getting ahead of myself a week, but um, I think this team is secretly very excited for that bye week. I think that could help, as you say, create a runway for the the rest of the season. Yeah. It gives you a chance to adjust the offense to what you see from McKay as well. You know, it it doesn't, you can, you can change some things that you need to change, whatever, uh, to, uh, to, to suit it best to him. I think it's an ideal opportunity if he's good enough, uh, health wise to play. Um, which again is another reason why it'd be great to have him for one week before that bye week, you know, you get him out there, see him in action and then have two weeks to, to really fine tune that. Uh, rather than kind of going in blind, so to speak, the, the following week yeah. against uh, yeah. San, San Diego State. Yeah, you get some tape with these receivers playing as well as the as they are with this rushing attack oh, yeah. being what it is. Oh, you yeah. see how he fits into that rather than having it you know, be hypothetical. I, I think it's a big opportunity. Uh, last yep. one here of the four, and it, it's down here at four, but I, I think that, that San Jose State's rushing attack against Utah State's run defense does deserve credit. This is a... This is a very explosive rushing attack. They haven't been, they don't run the ball a ton. It's, it's, you know, this is a pass first offense still. I think it's a, 
yeah, 42% run rate for these guys. But when they do run, they've been pretty good at it. They've been fairly successful. They're nearly top 30 in rushing play success rate, and they're very explosive. Eighth nationally in, in running success or running explosiveness. The line has issues. <laughs> they get they get stuffed too much. They do suffer some big plays, um, and, and Utah State has been pretty good at creating tackles for loss, and I think it, it has the opportunity to do that again here. But you also have to be you have to be gap sound against these guys. You have to be disciplined because the the two headed rushing attack really and, and and Cordero is a part of this as well. But Kyrie Robinson and Quali Conley are both really good. They're both averaging more than six and a half yards per carry. They are they're dangerous. They're both very dangerous in open space. It's not it's not the sort of deal where there's a power back and a speed back. They're both good. You know Conley was really good at Utah Tech before transferring over. Robinson's been here for a minute. He's a good player. Um, there's a lot of talent in this room, and they are. It's not the focal point of the offense, but it is a really dangerous changeup, and I think it could play a, a factor here if Utah State is not disciplined in, in its tackling and in its, you know, just its run defense in general. Yeah, I think we've seen some uh, discipline issues, or at least some lapses on the defensive side for Utah State lately. Uh, we we kind of dug into that a little bit last week with uh, you know Switzer at the helm of that. Um, this is a team, and as we mentioned with the passing, you know, the passing defense, this defense is really going to have to stay disciplined. They're going to have to take what's there. Uh, you can't get you know, no freelancing, no getting carried away. You got to stay, uh, stay focused on what Joe Cawthon's drawing up this week. Joe Cawthon is going to, um, he's going to have a good game plan coming into this game. But if you stray from that game plan too much, San Jose State is is good. They're good enough on offense to make you pay for doing silly things yeah. uh, to the side or getting getting carried away. Um, their rushing attack does deserve credit. I don't think it's, it, it could go either way, certainly, but I, I, it's not something that Utah state should, uh, should be particularly scared of. It's not, I, it shouldn't tear up the Aggies too much, but if you're not disciplined, if you're not careful, uh, they're going to blow you up quite a few times and they're going to, it's, it's chaotic the way they run. Uh, you're going to stuff them. And then two plays later, they will be, they will be, you know, you'll, you'll be chasing them with nothing but green in front of them. But, it's uh, it they they can be explosive if you're not disciplined, and I think that's uh, th- their offense isn't. Uh, it's nothing to, nothing to ignore, nothing to look past. They do have a pretty good offense, as much as their defense has been struggling. Um, their offense could make this a competitive game. Yeah, and they can do it quick, right? With those explosive yeah. plays, yeah. it can happen in a hurry. And and Utah State has had not a Utah State's defense. It doesn't feel like it at times, but this defense has been fairly good at at limiting explosive plays. Um, yeah. the, the stats I think are a lot more generous than you would think for, for this, this defense in terms of not giving up huge runs, huge passes, huge plays in general, they've had their, their share, but it is, it has been generally pretty hard to do. Their secondary tackling has been pretty good, um, which is a big part in that it has to be good here as well. You just can't have, you know, stuff on first down, incomplete pass on second down, third down run you're not paying attention they gash you for 25 yards you just can't have it it's not um it's not a good it's not a good approach or you know quick change you have a you have an interception you have a fumble on offense san jose state comes out onto the field you're expecting a deep pass they hand it off and and a guy takes it 60 yards to the house you just can't have that you got to be there's no selling out to stop either part of this offense because they do have pretty good balance and they do have good players throughout the offense, both in the in the skill core and on the front. This line's not great, but it is capable. Um, yeah. it, it's yeah. just it's not like 
you know, going into the Fresno State game or going into to the James Madison game where we're talking about a, a very good offense, but this offense can hurt you if you are if you are basically just not doing what you're supposed to do. This is a do your job game very much for for the Utah State defense. Yeah, very much so. We uh, you know, I'm glad you brought up the third down third down conversions and the third down efficiency. That is something that uh, we saw it last week. That is a gut punch. That is a gut punch for the fans, the coaches, the players. Uh, when you have a third and long situation and you give up a conversion, uh, that sucks. And this is uh, that is what this San Jose State team is built to do. Um, you, the scenario that you mentioned is is very likely that's something they are going to have to avoid. Where Utah State could be looking at, you know, a, a stuff or a sack or a, a tackle for loss an incomplete pass, suddenly you're looking at third and 15, third and long, and they're going to run the ball 30 yards on the ground. Uh, that is demoralizing stuff. And that's stuff that can catch up to you really, really quickly. And that, you know, this Spartans team is, uh, is pretty, pretty prepared to do something like that. So that is something it's just, it's a do your job game. You've got to prevent stuff like that from happening because if they string a couple of those together, um, you're behind the eight ball, eight ball pretty quick. Yeah, their their passing down success rate is good. They're they're thirty fifth nationally in passing down success rate, and that doesn't just mean passing the ball. It means that it's you know third and six or greater, or second and ten, or situations where you would expect to see a pass. They don't always pass there, and they are both in in you know the quarterback with with Cordero who can extend plays, and with a rushing attack that can really hit for a lot of yards maybe when it shouldn't it can find yards where there were not yards before um they can hurt you on third down they can hurt you in those passing situations and they can do it in several ways they're not afraid to run in those moments um it's just a matter of of readiness i think for utah state and really i think that's probably what it comes down to for the game is is i think you know i i we don't usually do score predictions and i don't think i have one i would guess uh, lofty. I think it's probably going to be a pretty high scoring game just in general because it always is with these two play. I think Utah State wins, but it is a matter of of game state of not coming in unprepared of of knowing what you're what you're going to see, knowing that this offense is capable, having the right plan offensively to take advantage of a bad defense and really just doing what you should do. Utah State has done this against Colorado State. I think that was very much a doing what you should do game. This is another one. Just just go out there and, and be more talented and don't make those big mistakes. And I think if Utah State can do that, it, it will it will win the game probably by a couple of scores. But it has not always done that. I think they're getting better at it. Um, but that is, I, I think that's going to be the determining factor in all facets is just can you play to the level that we know that these team, that this team is capable of playing to? Yep, I would agree. I think my prediction would be right in line with yours. I, I'm predicting Utah State should win this game. Uh, really pretty comfortably uh, it should be I, Utah State should win by multiple scores if they don't I still think you know if they come out unprepared I still think there's a way there's a path for this team to get it done and win by a score um, but it is about preparation we talked about uh, the offensive preparation in terms of mainly who's the quarterback and then the defensive preparation and uh, just being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there um, there's, there's room for error, I think, but not much. And that's, that's, that's life. When you're playing conference games, they, they tend to be pretty evenly matched, but I do think Utah state gets it done, particularly if they come in as prepared as they should be, they get it done uh, with a couple scores to spare. Yep. Elsewhere in the mountain West this week, not a ton going on. This is not a great week for mountain West play. Um, yeah. there is one, there's a non-conference game that could be, 
I guess, interesting. Unfortunately, Air Force will be without starting quarterback Zach Larrier, who is, it sounds like, is going to have a uh, at least a couple weeks' worth of injury recovery time after suffering an injury last week against Wyoming. Uh, Air Force is at Navy this week. Always low scoring when, when the service academies <laughs> meet, you know, by the nature of yeah. the way that they play. Yeah. Um, Air Force needs uh, needs Jensen Jones at quarterback to be good. They can't have him fumble on two of his first three snaps like he did against Wyoming. Um, I think a week of preparation will do him a lot of good. Air Force should still win that game. The, the quarterback means a lot more to the triple option than I think you would think because, you know, he doesn't do it in the traditional way, but that it does matter when your quarterback is, is the backup and not the guy who's been running the offense all year. It gets less crisp on the ground when you're doing that. Um, if he's good, Air Force is, is more than good enough to uh, to handle Navy. Navy's not very good this year, um, even if he's just fine. I, I think Air Force's defense is, is good enough to win this game, but it is a situation we haven't seen these guys in yet this year, which is without their starting quarterback. Yeah, no, I think Air Force has proven uh, they've proven it up to me. This is uh, the first installment for Air Force in the Commander in Chief Bowl. They play; they will play Army later on in the year. Um, Air Force should get it done. I don't think uh, Zach Larrier is very, very good. Um, I don't think they are going to struggle too much without him, particularly just because the Air Force defense is going to be able to get it done as well. Navy probably doesn't score ten points if I if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, Air Force is also. I mean. Yeah, these two teams these two teams are traditionally low scoring. Air Force this year has has kind of bucked that trend. They've scored a lot, uh, obviously without Corda, uh, without Zach Larrier, still probably enough to get it done. I don't think they score at the clip that they have been all year, but um, I'm I'm thinking Air Force wins this game and probably the rest of the games on their schedule. They yeah. are good. Yep, they're good, and Navy is not, and I think that that's probably what it comes yeah. down to. In the Mountain West, really one game with. Um, it really any implications at all? The other yeah. two, the other two, there's not a whole lot going on. But Colorado State at UNLV is, I, I think, an interesting test before the test for UNLV. We have not seen this team. They're five and one. We've not seen them d- play a whole lot of teams at the to this point who who can keep up. Um, the, the schedule has not been terribly hard for UNLV. They lost to Michigan, but other than that. It's been it's been fairly fairly easy sledding, um, and this is a this is a different kind of game. This is an offense that that defense has not really seen before. UNLV's defense is not the strength of the team. I think Colorado State can put points on the board. I could see this being a, a really entertaining shootout and, and a, a good, like I said, test before the test for UNLV as it goes into a tough last month of the season um gotta win this one if you want to be a a serious a serious contender and i think they can but i'm just really interested to see what they look like against a team that can actually keep up with them yeah i really like this unlv unlv team they are five and one undefeated in conference play so far but like you said they haven't had the most difficult schedule they they did play michigan obviously a very very good team number two at the time um Still, I think number two, right? I can't remember. Um, yeah, no, one, and lost one or two. That game, They're right up there. One or yeah. two, yeah. Um, but even though I, I don't think they've been particularly tested, they've looked really, really good. I like UNLV in this game. Uh, certainly, the kind of as you as you coined it, the test before the test. Uh, good chance to see if UNLV is is really as legit as I've given them credit for, and as I think they are. Um, and also, I think kind of a. Uh, something of a bounce back game for Colorado state. Obviously they won last week against Boise state. 
but still lots to figure out for that game, uh, for that team trying to uh, get back on, on track, I think, after a, a weird start. And uh, this should be a fun one, honestly. Yeah, big game for potential Colorado State Bowl eligibility as well. Um, they they kind of need this one, I think, on that path. Uh, UNLV as well has only been to uh, bowl games in 2013 and 2000 in the last, you know, in recent yeah. memory. This is not a program that goes to a lot of bowl games even beyond that, but it's been a minute. It's been a decade since they went to a bowl game. If they win this one, they would already have six wins. They would be there. Um, and that is even, you know, no matter what happens beyond that, obviously I think their aspirations are are higher than that. Um, getting to a bowl game at UNLV is, is a, you know, that's a good thing. That's an achievement. That's a, that's a, that's a positive year. And they could do that very early on with a win here. Um, yeah. <clears throat> also in the mountain West this week, <laughs> these are bad. These are really bad games. These uh, are bad <laughs> Nevada at San Diego state and Hawaii at New Mexico. Hmm. I really don't know that you could find much worse games in this conference this year than, than these two. And we get them both in one week. These are, these are not good. These are not good games. Yeah, these are probably the four bottom teams in the league. Uh, if not, then four of the bottom five for sure. Um, and they're playing each other. And <laughs> that will be fun. Sure that will be a great thing uh, for yep. for those teams. Um, I think you have, yeah, kind of a lot at stake in, in the wrong, for all the wrong reasons, as San Diego State particularly, just really trying to prove that they are not a bottom feeder in this conference right now. Um, something yeah. we haven't talked about on the show a lot is uh, kind of uh, with, you know, the conference realignment, all the, all the shenanigans that San Diego state put everybody else through this off season um, for them to be just completely, uh, completely falling apart throughout the season is not a good look for them. They desperately do not want to be the worst team in the mountain West after, um, after all the talk that they did. So they are, you know, they, they definitely want to be a winless Nevada team, Hawaii and New Mexico. Um, that, that one's just kind of weird. It could be sneaky fun. Hawaii's a fun team at New Mexico. It's just to, again, it's just, these are the four worst teams in the conference. Just yeah. kind of trying to prove who's not the absolute bottom feeder. I believe I, I can't remember anything. I, I don't remember any wins for either Hawaii or New Mexico in conference play. I believe that, yeah, they're both 0-2 at this point. Somebody's getting on the board, I guess. You can, you could say yeah. that at least. Yeah. Somebody's getting a conference win. Yeah, Nevada also 0-2 um, to to this point. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, that's fun. Somebody is, somebody is, uh, somebody's getting a, a, a win, and that's always good news when you're trying to rebuild a program i think hawaii is maybe a little bit more encouraging in those efforts than than new mexico has been of late given that new mexico is yeah. in what year four or five of this tenure and hawaii's in year two um yeah but yeah. some somebody is going to have some positive momentum and that is good news for those guys whoever it is i would assume hawaii gets it done i like hawaii more than i like new mexico but yeah yeah somebody's somebody's doing something somebody somebody is getting a win and that's that's good for uh that's good for them i guess yeah good for them uh well you know sweet awesome good good job winning a conference game yep. you have three teams actually without a conference win the only three teams left without a conference win i believe uh and you could end up with one at the end of this week if uh yeah if nevada beats san diego state and then obviously somebody has to win the hawaii new mexico game yep um right like somebody has to win somebody has <laughs> to win just, 
you can't both lose and so that'll be someone's getting on the board uh, and then nevada fighting desperately or not so desperately to to do this yeah same. yeah nevada is uh getting some exercise they're running around um yeah, get the cardio in yeah all right i think that'll do it for this episode we will talk yep. to you all on the uh on the on the recap show